Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The reading today comes from the book of Exodus, selected verses from chapters 3 and 4. The Lord said to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who were in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? The Lord said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to speak. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading for this morning comes from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, the man declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything. And give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad, because he had great wealth. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. 
It's wonderful to be here. I'm grateful for the kind invitation and the kind introduction by Dr. Fair. It's wonderful to be back in God's country. As Dr. Fair said, I grew up on the other side of Lake Michigan in Racine, Wisconsin, and I know something about the character-building winters and gorgeous summers you have in this part of the world. (laughs) Then I left this region for uh, college and graduate school. I went to New England. After that, I moved to Virginia, where I've been for going on 35 years. Now, this, this mobility is characteristic of Americans. We are a country on the road. We, we, uh, we celebrate the road. Uh, writers as different as Walt Whitman and Jack Kerouac celebrated the open road. What calls us to pivot from one region to another, from one path to another, from one mission to another? This is the focus of my message to you today. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today is special for many reasons. It's it's University Sunday here at First Presbyterian Church a day on which, by tradition, you invite a speaker to address the the intersection of faith and career. Now, this is an interesting juxtaposition. Career evokes intentionality. It It evokes planning, labor, knowledge, progression, and, and aspirations to leadership. Faith evokes compassion commitment, discipleship, trust, and openness to the mystery at the heart of life. So the challenge is to consider how faith directs and inspires our careers. How does our work deepen our faith and that of others? This seems an especially apt set of questions at the start of a new academic career. And today is a poignant moment to ask these questions. Today we observe the 15th anniversary of the terror attacks on 9-11. The extraordinary first responders set such a vivid example of faithful work, the courage it inspires and the cost it may require. These brave men and women sensed something urgent and important that needed to be done, and they responded to a call that went into it wholeheartedly, whatever sacrifice it might require of them. Many of them laid down their lives for the greater good. The selfless acts by so many men and women. Since then, to save lives, heal the injured, console the grieving, protect the innocent, and bring justice. All of these manifest the dearest values we hold in this nation and in this church. So our observance of University Sunday and the remembrance of 9-11 make me wonder, how can we live by faith in such a way that we say yes when called by God to act on behalf of the world in need? How do we discern that we've been called? And where do we find the courage to pursue the call? 
Mark Twain supposedly said, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. I submit to you that to find out why, to gain a sense of purpose, a sense that you were meant to assume this task, you were meant to follow this path, to find out why is to be called. There are few things more important to the intersection of faith and career than the sense of purpose, of meaning, of being called by God. And the good news is that through our faith and trust and community in the body of Christ, God will call us and support us in that call. The Bible is replete with stories of people whom God called and the varieties of ways in which they responded. You can read about Jonah and Jeremiah, Elijah, David, the fishermen of Galilee, Paul. All of them heard a call and responded in diverse ways. Our two Bible readings this morning offer important examples. The story of Moses and the the choir so wonderfully brought life to that story of his call and his sense of purpose. The story of Moses shows a man who was riddled by doubts. Dean Martin brought out, I don't speak well. What should I say? They, they, they won't believe me. And most importantly, who? Who am I that you should visit this call upon me? Yet Moses couldn't have been more suited for the assignment. He had spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court. He had the knowledge, experience, and strength of faith to lead the Israelites. He sure was a reluctant leader, but he was being given by his reckoning a seemingly impossible task to do. So in the conversation, Dean Martin read, Moses kept pushing God and asking for signs and support that Moses knew he needed. And God kept delivering. Therefore, Moses could lead, not just because God had talked him into it, but because God provided the strength that Moses needed. Now, God called Israel into a land of promise. Though Moses did not live to see the promised land, his faithful leadership inspired the community to keep traveling through the wilderness in the direction of the promise. When met by human doubt, God responded with manna and provided faithful companions God's grace and the fulfilling of God's promise became the defining deep story of purpose and hope. Setting out in faith, listening for the call, and having our human waywardness constantly met by God's mercy and love is the good news which gives us hope. The second reading, the conversation between Jesus and the rich man in the book of Mark tells a rather different story. Jesus told him to sell what he had and give to the poor, and he would have treasure in heaven. And the rich man went away sad at that saying. He was grieved, for he had great possessions. 
What are we to make of this? This story illustrates how baggage, baggage can get in the way of a call. Such baggage could be riches, or it could be indifference, or it could be doubts, or it could be self-importance. I'm too important for this call of yours. All of that is baggage. But perhaps the point of the call is that baggage or hindrance, the opportunity to, to demonstrate new capabilities in the face of the hindrance, new capabilities of which you were unaware. This seems to be a regularity in history if you read biography and histories. The tackling of obstacles and defeats often produces a new direction and new meaning. Perhaps some of you can tell a similar story in your own lifetime. For my part, I believe I heard a call 11 years ago. It took time and discernment for me to respond to the call. I was a professor at my university and had just finished writing a, a couple of books. I felt unsure what to do next, so I took a, a year's leave of absence in a distant city where I studied and read and looked for anything that would recharge me. Then one day, out of the blue, I got a call from the president of my university who asked if I would serve as the dean of my school for a year. He'd been conducting a search and hadn't been able to fill the slot in time for the start of the next school year. The search committee had uncovered many promising candidates and had brought several of them to our grounds. The president just needed a, a, a placeholder for a brief time until he could close the sale with one of these worthies. Well, I was ready for a change and open to a new challenge. But I was out of touch with the situation back home, and to leap from scholarship to administration is a big and often one-way move. And I questioned my preparedness for the job. So I gathered what information I could. I sought the counsel of family and a few friends who knew me well. And I, I prayed and I reflected. I listened and I learned that the school really needed some help. This wouldn't be an easy assignment. My friends, for their part, were only mildly supportive. <laughs> they were all professors and they pointed out I'd be giving up the professorial life that offered uh, self-direction, flexible hours, and a cloistered world. And as uh, Dean Martin no doubt knows, academic leadership can be lonely. And my wife was doubtful, correctly foreseeing the distractions, the stress, the long hours, the travel. But the more I prayed and reflected, the more I felt called to the job and called beyond my apprehensions. There was a growing feeling of readiness in me and a rising clarity about the, the serious needs of my community. Some of my prior work was actually quite relevant to the challenges the school faced. And for every objection that came to my mind, a reply came to my mind. Now, I believe that true leaders bring light into darkness. Leaders bring light into darkness. They illuminate the issues and 
rally people around them. And I began to feel that the issues at hand were things I really wanted to bring light into. When my wife observed that my heart seemed to be in the call and that she would partner with me in it, I agreed to serve. Well, fast forward. One year as dean turned into 10 years as dean. The school worked through its challenges and grew stronger. Last year, I stepped down from the job. Again, I took time out to listen for what was next. Another, it was another wilderness time of learning to live by faith. By the end of last year, I felt called back to teaching and writing, and therefore I've turned to the ranks of my profession at my university. Teaching and writing is the work I feel I was meant to do. Now, the readings of Exodus and Mark and the life examples of myself and surely many of you in this sanctuary illuminate some lessons and the good news for us today. I'd offer four lessons. The first lesson is, you know you've been called when the call carries a sense of meaning. You were meant to do this. The call entails a deep sense of purpose. A call is sticky. It dwells in the mind and exerts an almost gravitational pull. As the story of Moses shows, for every objection you might raise, God has an answer. So where does this sense of meaning come from? Frederick Beekner has said that, quote, the place of God, the place God calls you to, is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet, unquote. Therefore, you know you've been called when the meaning of that call comes from a sense of clear service and a sense of gladness. The second lesson I'd offer is that a call from God will almost certainly be unexpected. It can come as a thunderbolt of a life-changing event, or it can come as that still, small voice that the prophet Elijah heard. The call we receive may not be at the time, place, or in the form one might expect. Therefore, it's a good idea, a very good idea, to wait in readiness, to be present in your faith. The third lesson I draw from all of this is that God's call goes not necessarily to the prominent, the brilliant, or the, the most obvious candidate. Rather, as Todd Jones has said, quote, God chooses what is small, someone insignificant, overlooked, least prepared. God can use what is humble, unquote. Nor does God call only the most holy or the most devout. Bliss Williams Brown told me, quote, it's amazing to us that God entrusts kingdom building work to us who have such feet of clay. One might question God's judgment in doing so, but the Bible is full of stories about ordinary, even despicable people becoming remarkable agents of healing by virtue of grace at work, unquote. Therefore, we must trust that God's call to us had the correct address. 
My fourth and final lesson that I derive from these stories is that a call is almost always transcendent. Now that's a big word. It gains its significance from Abraham Maslow, who became famous as a psychologist for advancing the, the hierarchy of needs, a, a pyramid at the base of which was the basics, food, clothing, shelter, and at the top of which, at the apex, was self-actualization. Self-actualization means fully becoming oneself. But late in life, Abraham Maslow changed his mind, and he argued that the, the top need isn't about fully becoming oneself. Rather, it's about self-transcendence, self-transcendence. That means going beyond oneself toward living one's life in service to others. The big, the big takeaway with that is that a call isn't just about you. It's about many. Discerning one's career faithfully draws one toward the welfare of all. So where's the good news in all of this for us? Responding to God's call requires faith and trust. But that's the path of freedom into which we're always called, to move beyond fear, to love, to move beyond appetites to purpose. Faith and career can be congruent, and living by faith brings a strength and grace beyond that of mere competence, mere mastery, mere professionalism. So we see this morning that faith truly complements and informs and directs career, and one's career can truly implement one's faith. The good news, men and women, is that God calls us to fullness of life, to unimaginably creative and seemingly impossible lives of service. So the, the old hymn by John Monsell says it well, cast care aside, lead on thy guide. God's boundless mercy will provide. Trust, and thy trusting soul shall prove Christ is its life and Christ its love. Please pray with me. Almighty God, grant us the grace, strength, wisdom, and courage to listen to your call in the world around us, to leap in faith, trusting that your boundless grace will sustain us, and to move others to create the world in which you would have us live. With your help, we cannot fail. Amen. Let us continue on in a spirit of prayer. Let us pray. Great God of us all, in these days of September renewal and refreshment as the leaves begin to turn and our minds turn more towards the busyness of this year, with school days and classes, with routines and schedules, with cool air blowing our way. We arrive at this place to pause, to hear your word, to be inspired and challenged and fed. We are called all to be disciples of Jesus, people who engage this world not only with our hearts but with our minds. And so we pray to you to help us invest ourselves in this journey with you, letting faith be that which guides our lives and gathers us together. We pray for us all as students who are learning to love you and one another more generously and with understanding. 
but we pray specifically this University Sunday for those who are teachers and students, advisors and administrators of our colleges and universities. At the start of this academic year, show yourself, be a guide and friend, an ever-present help in the unfolding and evolving days of change and growth and challenge. For students who are exploring new opportunities to be away from their families, they will try to work hard, we know, but also they may seek to play hard. And so we need your guidance and help to keep them safe and to ground them in good decisions. We arrive at this place today thinking of those we know in crisis and need, people on journeys of grief, dealing with illness and its looming threat of relapse, folks we love who can't seem to catch a break, our siblings, our colleagues and friends, strangers we've just heard about whose lives have such hardship we can barely imagine it. Help us move beyond thinking to doing, to offering tangible help wherever it may come. We come on this 11th of September with remembrance, still reeling from all that was lost that day, still seeking a world in which such horror may never again draw near. There is no prayer to change the past. And so we pray to change ourselves, that together we might change the world with your help. We pray to live with memory, with constant love, with the promise and desire, both to combat evil but also to cherish goodness. We pray hope and courage and comfort for those families crushed by loss on this day, knowing their journeys are forever changed. God, every day there is someone whose heart is broken and someone whose life is lost, often due to gun violence. Racism and poverty leave our communities wounded. So on this day of remembering, let us not forget the whole of our broken humanity, holding them all in our hearts and yet also turning our anger and dismay into acts of justice and kindness. We come knowing that we ourselves have burdens and questions, dilemmas, feel stuck or trapped or unsure, and perhaps have been moved to think of that through this word today. Maybe we have moments where we sure would love clarity and a clear sign of what choice to make or what direction to go. So we come to you then, as we are, Nothing more or less, knowing you know us perfectly well. Nothing is hidden from you, not the thoughts and feelings we would wish to tuck away because they do not represent us very well. Make us grateful and alive even on the hard days, for we have so many of these, only have so many of these days before we see you face to face. Called as we are to treasure the days you have given us, not waste the time by giving it over to shame or regret or fear. Be with us in the complexity of life and the unknowns that are ahead of us. We are so sure of only this, that you are here, that you hear us when we pray, that you care about what we say, that you have not given over this world to someone else to tend. And so we lift up all these prayers, the spoken, the unspoken, and so much more, using the words Jesus gave us to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.